Welcome to Fearless Mom. We are so excited today. We have a couple of special guests with us. We are right smack in the middle of our pirate parenting series. And we thought it was a great time to take a stop and to focus on the relationship part. We talk so much about discipline when we talk about pirate parenting, and it is so important. But remember, it is not about choosing rules over relationship or relationship over rules. It's about doing both. And so today we're going to talk a lot about Joseph, our son, and um, what it was like for him growing up and all the pirate parenting stuff. And um, Julia is going to interview uh, the two of us. And then we're going to talk a lot about relationship because it is such an important part of discipline. Um, but before we do, we want to welcome in our online moms. Online moms, we hope you feel the support from our moms in Austin. Right, girls? You may be watching or listening by yourself, but you are not alone. There's a group here cheering you on, walking alongside you. We believe in you. You can do this, and you can too. So let's pray, and we will ask God to somehow use our experience for his glory and your good. God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you, God, that you are present when we gather. God, we ask right now that you settle our hearts, that you settle our minds, that you open our eyes and ears to see and hear what you want us to see and hear today so that we can be the moms you have created us to be, to raise up these kids, to be the men and women you've created them to be. Thank you for technology. We pray an extra prayer for every mom listening or watching online. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Well, thank you for having me here. I'm Julia Fortman, and I have the unique perspective of having worked at the elementary school where Emily and Joseph uh, attended kindergarten through fifth grade. And I met Julie and Emily and Joseph when Emily was in first grade and Joe had just turned five years old. In fact, I remember the day that Joe started kindergarten, and I ran into Julie in the hall, and she had just dropped him off, and she shared that at breakfast that morning, Joe had had a special prayer, or said a special prayer for her, that she would find something to do now that he went to <laughs> kindergarten. You were dead serious. That was so sweet. And I don't think it's any coincidence that it was in Joe's senior year of high school that Julie felt the calling to launch Fearless Mom. So thank you so much for being here. Joe is here. Um, on his junior year spring break to share his perspective and insight. And um, just so you know, I'm sitting up here as a mom of three. I have a 10-year-old, 8-year-old, and a 5-year-old. And I'm digging through Julie's parenting uh, treasure box just as much for me as I am for all of you. So thank you. You ready to dive right in? Let's go. Okay. Um, just to clarify, I think it's especially important to say that nobody is perfect, and I don't want to put that kind of pressure on you, but you are, by all accounts, a well-adjusted, successful, almost college grad, and you're having lived at home so recently, you have a perspective and insight that is so valuable to all of us, so thank you. Okay. And I already told Joe that I'm just going to nudge him if I don't like what he's saying. Okay, cool. Uh-huh. Okay, Joe, just perfect. be ready. Yeah. Uh, I'm nervous about be that. Be ready. Be ready. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't like that. Okay, well, I wanted to start by talking with you about how we've heard through the years that you were always so easygoing and compliant. And your mom has talked about how at home you had a laid back, let your sister do everything for you kind of attitude. But at school, we never saw that side of you. 
You were always very responsible, independent. You communicated clearly, confidently, respectfully. And you were a leader among your peers, even when no one was watching. And so I wanted you to take a minute to share with us how you explain that difference from home and school. Um, I mean, I think, one, Emily was going to step up and take the lead no matter what I did. Um, and so early on, um, I was obviously very okay with that, and I was okay taking literally the back seat. Um, but I also saw that modeled in my parents' relationship with my mom and dad, because there would be times when they were parenting together, but my dad would step up and take the lead, and my mom would kind of step back vocally at least. Um, but then when my dad would be gone or at work and my mom would be the only one, then she would step up and be the vocal leader. And so I never felt like if you were quiet in one situation, you had to be quiet in every situation. And I never felt like you, could be, you had to be different people or the same facet of the same person 24-7. And so I felt a freedom in that modeled um, with my mom, of course, to be who you are all the time but different facets of that and a different perspective um, at different situations. Thank you. That's so interesting. It's so, in I love this. Okay, good answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then um, you have shared that while you and Emily have opposite personalities, you and Joe are more similar. And so we know Julie sways more towards the side of play and spontaneity than routine and order. But you took the role of motherhood very seriously. And so what did you, what strategies did you use to step out of your comfort zone and embrace your children's need for uh, routine and order? I do think it's interesting when you have a child who is your complete opposite. Um, and, um, you know, it offers, um, you know, opportunities for growth. And same, though, I think when you have a kid who is exactly like you, I think you see things um, differently. So uh, as far as... Um, parenting goes and why I took it so seriously, um, I grew up in a home where, you know, you did what you were supposed to do. Like, if that's your responsibility, you do it. It doesn't matter if you're good at it or if you don't know how to do it. You figure it out and you just do it. That's your responsibility. So I think early on, I recognized with Emily that um, we all did better with structure. Um, and what I found was in providing that structure for her, I do better with structure. So it, it's not that one does better or needs it more than the other. What we found was everybody in our family, no matter the personality type, um, we do better with play and with order, you know, with a little bit of chaos and a little bit of, um, you know, calendaring. So. And I would think that you had enough students that were different that you could see that that structure and order was beneficial to all children. I definitely think um, if you have the advantage of ever um, being in a classroom, being a classroom teacher and watching children in different environments, I, I think there was a great advantage that I'd seen that in the classroom for sure, for sure. So Joe, we have talked a lot about um, the importance of developing trust in the parent-child relationship. And I asked the same question if you were here for Emily's interview last year, I asked the same question. Um, but what do you recall that your parents did either intentionally or unintentionally to develop trust so that you knew that even if you didn't understand what they were asking you to do, you could trust them? That's interesting. Um, for me, I've always been a very naturally trusting person, sometimes to a fault. And so it was never so much uh, that I had to worry about trusting my mom and dad. But what I do remember um, worrying about and um, having to be aware of is that I had to know that my parents liked me. 
and I had to know um, that I was safe with them and that I could have fun with them and that when they were disciplining me, it wasn't because I was an annoyance and it wasn't because it was just something that they wanted to uh, shove by the wayside and get rid of. It was for me. So it wasn't necessarily the trust, but it was that they liked me and that um, I wasn't annoying to them 24-7. Well, I think what I heard you say is that you could, you knew that sometimes you were annoying your parents, but you weren't an annoyance. Yes. That your behavior, they yes. communicated that your behavior didn't define you. Absolutely. Yeah. So interesting. Um, and to piggyback on that, we've also talked about the role of play in developing trust. So what were your favorite ways your family played together as you grew up? Oh, that one's fun. Um, we did that a lot. Um, I think when I was younger, we played. In case you're wondering, Joe also drifts toward play. I do. I really did you, do. Did you see him light up? I love play. Um, but we played, when I was in elementary school, we played a lot of board games. Um, I, I remember I loved being sick because being sick meant that I got to come home and play games with mom. Um, and so it was great. And then uh, when my dad would come home and he would grill for dinner, we would be out in the driveway playing basketball. And even though my mom can't play basketball, she would... Maybe I just chose not to, Joe. No, I don't think that was it. <laughs> if I did play basketball, I have my own set of rules. Like if we needed to play two on two, I did not have to dribble. And they could not call a foul on me. So I, on occasion, assaulted the ball handler. So she sat in a lawn chair while we all played basketball. Um, but it was, even though she wasn't playing, she was a part of the time, and it was definite family time within that play. Um, that was so much fun. Talk a little bit about family vacations, because I've, I've heard you say that that made a oh, big impact yes. on you. Um, so every year, I mean, I don't know if it was every year, but I'd, it feels like every year, um, we would take a family vacation, and it would be about a week, typically, uh, where it would be us four and no more. Um, and we wouldn't vacation with other families. We wouldn't vacation with our friends. It would just be the four of us, and it would just be us hanging out together. Um, we spent a lot of time just sitting by a pool, a lot of time with my dad throwing me and my sister in the pool, which was just great. Um, we spent a lot of time just being together and uh, having fun and laughing with and sometimes at each other. And, uh, when we were at the beach, like most kids, you know, have that drawstring backpack and they'll take their sunscreen and their towel and whatever. Joe had Connect Four in his drawstring backpack. So literally, like by the time I had my beach towel out, he was like, want to play? Yeah, he already had it set up. I vividly remember you're, um, you know, riding your bike at the beach and like hitting a curb and connect four bouncing out of the, the basket. He was like, hey guys, hold on a minute. And he had to pick up all the connect four. But I'm telling you, he was like a miracle worker. By the time I got to the pool, it was already set out and ready to go. Yeah, you love so games. setting it up. Yeah, and you were really good at games. Like, so I think that's why you, it's real important. I do think when you have little kids, um, and when you have siblings to get them to play together. Um, yes, we did games of strategy, but we did that later. Earlier on, we did games of chance so that everybody's on a level playing field. So it didn't matter what you, um, you know, uh, Candyland is a game of chance. There's really no strategy involved. Candyland's a classic. Candyland is a classic. You know, any, any game of chance, just putting everybody on a level playing field. But yeah, you, um, and he still loves, loves, loves games. He's the best. One time um, he woke up um, and I said, oh, buddy, you don't have fever today. You can go to, you didn't have fever last night. You can go to school. And he started crying. 
you used to like it when I was sick. And I said, what? And he goes, because I could stay home with you. And I, go, I must have responded to him like, oh my gosh, you're sick. Let's play a game, you know. So then you were so hurt when I was so happy that he was feeling better. But I will say it never mattered what game it was it only mattered that there was a game, and it only mattered that playing was happening. It never, I never really cared about what game we played. It was just the fact that the four of us were taking however long that game took, um, and I like to win. It's true. Yeah, it's, I, I yeah. think it's good. Yeah. I, like I think that. we all do, probably a, a little bit. I think it's interesting to listen to you, and um, I was looking back at my notes from when I interviewed Emily, and the same question came up, and she communicated that family game nights communicated to her that her parents wanted to be with her. And I think that when Joe is sharing family vacations and the games and the things that they did together, that is also what it communicated to you too, that your parents wanted to be with you and they were intentional about planning this time, us four and no more, so that you could all be together. Oh, absolutely. And I know, um, especially when I was in middle school and high school, when we would take family vacations, um, I would see on social media that all my friends were going with their friends or with their parents, friends, and families. And I'd be like, why can't we do that? Like, why, why aren't we taking our friends? Um, but now looking back on it, I'm like, praise that we never took our friends because I now see those friends having a little bit rockier relationships with their parents, um, but it was on those trips that it was just the four of us that the foundation was built so that when me and my sister went off to college, when we came back, the family was still the family, and it was, it was huge. That is very powerful. Thank you. Um, okay, so moving on to a slightly different topic, but we've heard a lot about the stories of um, Julie sending Joe up to the Chick-fil-A counter when he was in preschool. Um, to help him learn to speak clearly, communicate clearly. And so I wanted to start and ask you about, um, you, you sought out real-world experiences for Joe to help him develop that instead of seeking a speech therapist. Talk to us a little bit about how you knew this was the best approach for Joe. Well, first of all, I'd say um, that is so important that we all recognize that kids develop at, uh, you know, their own pace. And um, that was one of the, so the stories that we used to teach reading. You probably taught it, too, when you taught first grade. Leo, the late bloomer. Um, and so, uh, you know, Leo, the late bloomer. Um, but I, I was obviously, went, you know, we went to the pediatrician regularly. I knew what was going on. I knew that... Joseph's speech delays were kind of part of Joe. Um, it went with the rest of his personality. Um, it uh, wasn't surprising since Emily talked eight times as much that he would, you know, not really have a lot of space in there. Um, and so it, it all went with him. I do think it's important to stay in touch with your pediatrician. But I um, did take a little more laid-back approach to that because I, I felt like with Joseph, um, when you have a kid who is um, compliant and easygoing and laid back, and he just wants to please. My concern was if I started correcting him with his speech, he wouldn't speak as much. And I was more concerned about his fluency than his articulation, if that makes sense. And so I just wanted him to speak freely. I thought that was super important. Um, but then I did realize that he had to grow into a man. So I thought, I, I want him to speak freely, but I need him to be assertive. I knew that was something because he really he adored Emily. And so we laugh a lot about how Emily um, ruled his world, and she did. Um, but he didn't mind. Like, it literally, you know, 
preschool. I am thankful for. It would always be Emily. And I'm like, seriously? Yeah, I'm like, she's so, but he adored her and she adored him. Um, But then I thought, you know, he's going to have to be without her and speak without her and speak without me. So it was important for me that he learn to be assertive. So the articulation was part of it, but I think the assertiveness was the other part. So I'd send him with that $5 bill and I would say, hey, buddy, they're going to think you're with another mom. You're safe. I'm watching you, but you are going to have to walk up to that counter, speak to them, order, and if they can't understand you, repeat it again louder and more clearly, but you're going to have to let them know that you're there to order, not just with a mom. And then I think in other restaurants too, um, you know, it's sometimes challenging, but uh, to force him to speak up, you know, to find his voice. Yes, and, and touching right on that, it had to be difficult to watch him struggle in the beginning. But you were able to keep focused on your long-term goals for him. And I think that's been true, not just in this situation, but in lots of situations as you've parented your kids. And so what, what do you attribute to your ability to keep a positive attitude and persevere in challenging situations, particularly when parenting? I think, I think when it comes to that perseverance and that relentlessness, you know, we talk a lot about that with strong will blessings and like, oh, you just got to stay at it. You've just got to stay at it. It's it's a different um, strategy when you have a laid-back, compliant kid, an obedient kid. Um, what I had to do is really pay attention. I had to really pay attention to his uh, wants, his needs, his eyebrows. You know, if he disobeyed, it wasn't blatant. It was a, you know, yes, ma'am. And I'm like, hey, buddy, watch those eyebrows now. What, what was that all about? You know, I just had to be more attentive. But so I think it's relentless in a different way. And I always think the key to remaining relentless is having friends in various stages because I think it changes your perspective. So to have friends who are years behind you with their kids, to have friends who are years ahead of you with their kids, it helps you see the big picture because if I'm potty training and all my friends are potty training, all we're talking about is potty training. And so we can't see down the road. But when you have friends who are down the road, you instinctively have that longer-term perspective. So I think with Joe, um, and I think Mac was much more objective about it. You know, I think as moms, we feel what our kids feel. We think what they think. And so any discomfort he would feel, I would feel that. And I would even feel it before he did. So I would, you know, want to not make him feel uncomfortable. But I knew that my job was to raise a man. And when I forgot that, Mac reminded me. And so I, I think that was super important to keep that long-term goal in mind. And Joe, when she would let, send you up to do this or um, if a waiter came by and she didn't fill in the answer for you, what did that communicate to you? Oh, I mean, one, it was terrifying. But two, on a bigger picture, um, it communicated that she believed in me. Uh, it communicated that she thought I was capable. Um, and I think that trust in the parent-child relationship, it wasn't just that I had to trust her, it showed that she trusted me. And I think outside of those restaurants and um, in other situations, that communicated so much um, and was crucial. That is a sweet thing to say. But I I really did, I I believed in him. And I knew, um, even though he didn't articulate things, I knew he was sharp, I knew he was I knew he did have opinions. The thing about a compliant kid is, uh, and I was one too, uh, we really don't care about many things. What we do care about, we really care about. But we don't care about, whereas like with Emily, 
there's nothing she doesn't care about, you know. And, and so it was easy, I think, sometimes for you just to let her make those decisions when you really didn't care. Oh, for sure. And then when you yes, did care, Emily learned. If he does speak up, he's not going to change his mind. But I do think, um, like, being in those restaurants and, um, and other places, too, where, where in an environment when um, I thought it was very important for him to order for himself, I wouldn't get the waiter's attention. I wouldn't, um, you know, he said, Mom, I need some ketchup. I'm like, okay, get yourself some. And so he would have to get the waiter's attention, which was very uncomfortable for him because he wants everybody to be happy, and he doesn't want to inconvenience anyone. Um, so I, I, he had to find that in himself. And if he wanted it bad enough, you know, he was going to get it. And so to learn to speak up. And then inevitably, when he was younger and his speech was not clear, the waiter would look at me and like, what did he say? And I would look back at him and let him figure out. It's very easy for me to jump in and speak for him. But if I speak for him, he never finds his voice. And so I, I think right. that's so important for those kids. And the other thing, too, is um, it was articulation when I was younger, but then later in life when there would be things that I would have to figure out that my mom wouldn't be there for me, those instances earlier gave me a figured-out mentality that I was able to translate into other situations. Um, I remember specifically when I was mowing the lawn uh, and I couldn't get the lawnmower to start, I would go in and say, Dad, I can't get it to start. And he would look at me and say, what would the Navy SEALs do? Figure it out. <laughs> and I'm like, Dad, I'm 12. I haven't been through BUDS. And it wouldn't matter. And so that figure it out mentality in every aspect is one of the most um, translatable and adaptable mentalities and one of the most beneficial things you can give your kids, especially if they're naturally laid back and compliant like I am and was. Yeah, and that was very hard for me. And so I would go in to Mac and go, he's out there upset. He doesn't know. It. And Mac goes, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. I'm like, no, he won't be. <laughs> Scarred forever. And, and look, Mac was right. It's so annoying. Which, you can be scarred forever and all right. They're not mutually <laughs> exclusive. Thank you. Well said. That is. That is great. Um, okay, so we are in the middle of our pirate parenting series, and, you know, this is where we learn to keep calm and say arg about, uh, Julie teaches us about the four principles she's found to be key to raising children, authority or respect for it, uh, responsibility, gratitude, and honesty. Uh, which of these has made the biggest impact in your life and why? Mm, easily responsibility. Um, I think as a laid-back, compliant kid, authority comes fairly naturally to me because um, I don't mind stepping back. Gratitude obviously isn't naturally um, to any isn't natural to any humans, but once I was taught it, it came easy. And honesty, I just I can't lie well, so that one was. But responsibility was one um, that I had to learn very early on and was very uh, very much articulated. Um, my responsibility, whether it was in elementary school, doing my homework and getting that in on time. Um, and not losing the actual physical copy of it, or in middle school and high school, washing my own basketball and football jerseys. Um, responsibility was one that like, I had to keep being aware of what was happening and aware of everything that was around me and that was on my plate. Um, and then that was the one that when I went off to college, I was most able to take with me because uh, it was all about time management and making sure you were doing what you needed to get done. Um, so easily responsibility. 
And you've shared that you see a difference in some of your peers. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think for a lot of laid back compliant people, when they're not, when responsibility isn't drilled into them at an early age, when they go off and um, they're on their own, they expect other people to be responsible for them. Um, and there's an accountability there and um, just being responsible for your own actions that now to me is intuitive and second nature, but early on was not. And so now I see those people, and I'm like, why do you think your professor is responsible for your grade? When that's what a lot of people think now because they're not focused on responsibility when they're five and six, and so they don't know responsibility when they're 25 and 26. Um, did you just give us a little 2020 parenting right there, Did I there, make it Joe? 2020? <laughs> oh, I didn't even you, mean to yeah. make it 2020. Oh, what do you got there, buddy? I think so. In fact, I heard you say that you feel like you're now 21, ready to be 22, but you have peers who are 21 feeling like they're 12. Oh, absolutely. And I think, I think it's so easy to see now in them, but it can all be rooted back to when they were 12, they were treated like they were five. And when I was 12... I was not treated like I was five. <laughs> but, and I didn't understand it at the time, and I would question it at the time, and even get a little angry at it. But now looking back, it is what, it's what's made me ready for not only this stage in life, but my next stage in life. And it's what um, has made it possible for me to keep progressing. Thank you. I know it's hard for us uh, when we're, you know, Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, and to hear what a positive impact that made. Yes, thank you. Um, so in pirate parenting, we talk a lot about discipline, and Emily and Joe are so different. Um, Just and, a little. Which is uh, super fun. It is. I have similar dynamics at my house. Um, and we've heard particular strategies for the strong-willed blessings. So how did they differ for you with an easygoing, compliant kid? Um, the, the basics are the same. The, what discipline is and what our goal is, it's the same. I wanted uh, Emily to be a happy, healthy, you know, adult child. I want Joe to be a happy, healthy adult child. Um, so the end goal is the same. I think it's super important when we talk about the critical nature of the relationship component. Um, that's when it comes into play, is knowing your kid. And knowing your kid requires extreme attention. I, I don't know how else to say it. Just time and attentiveness and intentionality to figure out what is a, a negative consequence, what is a positive consequence for your child. You just have to know your kid, and um, you have to read them and be sensitive to them. And I think with Emily, um, I think I was really, you know, we didn't have to help her find her voice. Um, she had it, which is so great. Um, our responsibility was to help her temper her voice, whereas I think with Joe, um, he had a voice. So don't uh, misinterpret. He is compliant. He is easygoing. He is just as strong. He is just as much a leader. He is just as competitive. It, uh, we just had to help him find that voice and then trust his voice. So the responsibility part and like, dude, you're capable. Get up and do that yourself. Or um, not just that, but also the honesty part, I think, Joe, that you may not have even, <clears throat> excuse me, been aware of at the time. And, and I don't know that until you ask me these questions and I'm thinking back, you know, but I think being honest with yourself about what you're feeling and then having the courage to say it. 
So I think for that easygoing kid to find his voice, to learn how to articulate his emotions, his feelings, his whatever, and it, it just requires extreme attention. I don't know how else to say it other than that. And so then your strategies are different because um, your positive and negative consequences are different. Your tone may be different. My face, and boy, let me tell you something. I would do that to Emily, and she would be like, you know, and I would do it to Joe, and he would be like, oh. You're scaring me, me right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm scared. He would hide behind the chair. I'm afraid. And I would go, appropriate. <laughs> it is completely appropriate for you to be afraid right now. And so that it's okay. You can feel anything. Now what you do with that emotion matters, you know. <laughs> and so I, I think that um, you, you, you have to be, but, but I knew the bar was the bar, no matter, you know, your personality type. And so. Right. Talk a little bit about the sibling dynamics, because I think one thing that moms worry about is treating kids fair in discipline, and when you have different personalities, how did you approach that in a way that your kids still felt that you were treating them fair, even though your response may yeah, have been totally different? Yeah, that's great. Um, I, I think that's a great question. Number one, Max says, fair is what you pay to ride a bus. You know, he's like, there's no such thing as fair, and so we do what's right. Um, and sometimes it looks fair and sometimes it doesn't, but we always do what's right. You do the right thing and let the chips fall where they may. And it, it will not always appear fair, and that's okay. I mean, sometimes I tell Emily, I go, you're our first guinea pig, you know. I mean, we, we did our best, and, and we're going to do our best with Joe. You know, you learn on each kid. I told her that when she was older, <laughs> not in the midst of a tantrum. <laughs> yeah, But, you know, joking later. But um, I, I think we just do what is right. And... Um, with Emily and Joe, because they are so opposite, and it may look from the, you know, from the outside looking in, it may look like, you know, Emily was ruling Joe's world. Not really, see. Um, Emily adores Joe, and Joe adores Emily, and the dynamic just seemed to work because they were so different. And again, um, did she boss him around? Yes, as long as he wanted to be, was okay with it. And then once he, you know, said no, um, she knew to back off. And so the dynamics, I, I do think, in particular, if you've got a strong-willed blessing, in your mind, they are soaking up the energy in the room. And you're like, oh, man, I've got this easygoing kid, you know, and I, I really don't focus as much on him. Well, that's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to focus on him. And so um, maybe that's why you love sick days so much. It's possible. <laughs> but, it's possible. But um, really being aware of that and reading them and, and then making time for each child, which, you know, those of you who have, you know, 18 children, you know, that is, it, it just gets trickier. I'm laughing. My friend has six kids, you know, and I'm like, it is. But but she understands that responsibility, and I watch her do it. And um, I, I, But I, I do think it's super important that you don't go, this is our parenting strategy. It's just like when we taught reading in first grade. True. I, I, I got, you know, approach. I got 22 kids in my class. I, I don't teach. This is not my one strategy for reading, you know. Uh, if a teacher says, this is my strategy, my one strategy, alert, alert. But respect her. Um, but, um, but it's just like parenting. Same goals, you know, but different strategies. I want you to say it again, what you said about it not being fair, it's being right. D yes. I, about yeah, I, it, um, I don't know if I said that on purpose, but what did I say? It wasn't, it's not about being right. You said it's about doing what's right. Oh, yes. Right. Okay. Like, is it fair? And your kids go, that's not fair. And you know what? I'm, an, I'm, I'm not focusing on what is fair. I'm focusing on what is right. And so when you that's have it. different kids, yes. What, I, I'm not focusing on what is fair. I'm focusing on what is right. I may say that again. Well, and I was going to say, because. If I can make it rhyme, it's going to be even better. I'll be thinking oh, about that right my. now. Okay. Keep uh -huh. going, Joe. 
And I'll say, too, because you focus so much on right and wrong and not fairness, um, when me and Emily go out into the world, we don't expect fairness. Heavens to Betsy, right. And so yes. we expect word. that we need to do what's right and not what's wrong, but we don't expect to be treated fairly. Right, right. Amen to that. Good Life is not fair. Um, but God is always good. Yes, life's yes, not always absolutely. fair, but God is always good. Great life principle. Mm -hmm. Okay, back to you, Joe. When Emily was here last spring, she talked about the challenge of navigating middle school and high school. And I think as moms, we could relate because we are girls. We've been there, done that. But middle school and high school is also difficult for boys. From the locker room to the choir room to the classroom. What is it that... Um, that moms need to know about navigating this time as a boy, and what particularly did your mom do to help support you through that time? Um, I think the biggest thing to know, especially in middle school and high school, um, is no matter what star athlete, star academic, star whatever you have, if you're a guy, you're going to get made fun of um, in some shape or form, and the best thing my mom ever did for me was she did not foster a victim mentality. She did not let me be a victim uh, no matter what was happening. And I think too, um, we learned to not take ourselves too seriously at the house. And so when people started joking in the locker room, I didn't take everything personally and I didn't take offense to any or to everything. Um, but when people did start getting made fun of and when I did start getting made fun of, I knew that being the victim wasn't the answer, and just wallowing in, oh, mom, he said this about me, that wasn't going to fly. And so I knew I had to shift my mentality, and I had to, um, I had to learn a resiliency and a perseverance um, that once I got outside of the locker room, transferred and was able to be adapted into any situation in life. Mm -hmm. And I know there were limits, but quitting was never an option either. No, quitting was... Um, not an option, and especially um, peer difficulties was never a reason to quit. Um, difficulties with teammates and difficulties with um, other people in whatever organization wasn't a reason to quit. If you started something, you were going to finish it um, with, obviously, limits and safety, and if you are always safe. Um, but getting offended wasn't a reason to stop doing something. Talk, tell us about the power and the stay. Oh, the power and the stay. So um, I remember specifically my sophomore year of high school. Uh, I, it, was, it was my sophomore year, wasn't it? When I came home and I asked if it was worth it. I, I can't remember when it was. It may have been. It was yeah. either early high school or late middle school um, when the locker room was, there was um, an air of hostility um, on a day-to-day -day basis. And so I would come home and ask my mom, I said, is it worth it? And... Uh, she, without batting an eye, said it's always worth it to do the right thing. Um, and so it was that that uh, instilled in me, I guess. Um, that by quitting, you just move the, the issue to another area. Exactly, because the, the issues never the go stay. away. Yeah. And there's always going to be people that you don't like and you don't get along with. But um, through persevering, especially in the locker room, I learned how to deal with it, how to cope with it, and then eventually how to thrive through it. Um, and but you see there uh, the importance of his finding his voice. 
See, if you go all the way back then, as you listen to him talk about it now, so and then you picture him as a sophomore, I want you to picture him now as a five-year-old at the Chick-fil-A counter, and finding his voice, and speaking up, and speaking out, and, and realizing, you know, I can do this, and that confidence that comes with that confidence, um, I, I think set the stage. And, and again, I wasn't picturing that when I was making him stand in line at Chick-fil-A. I, I just knew it would set him up best. I'm, I'm going to tell a story real quick, Joe. If uh, when you okay. were in eighth grade and I picked you up from school mm -hmm. and rugby uh, was the last, um, it was like the end of the school year and the coaches were a little more laxed, you know, during an eighth grade. So they had PE last and um, I picked Joe up and um, he was shaking um, when he got in the car and um, he, you cried and um, which as a mom, hello, it's terrible, you know, but I'm remaining calm, you know, deep breath. <gasps> bite of chocolate, deep breath, bite of chocolate. And, um, and so I said, you know, what happened? And he said, um, uh, the guy, and he named him, and he was the biggest guy, he plays division one ball, like he was huge. Um, and he said, he pushed me in rugby. And I said, what did you do? Cause they were on, he said, I stood back up to him and I said, don't come at me. And I said, what did your friends do? They were all like, Joe, shut up. What are you doing? Because Joe was um, about, I'm going to say at that point, maybe 5'10", weighing, you know, a whopping 110. Um, and, and so... Um, and this dude was like 6'1", 180 This guy looked like grade. there's no way he's still in eighth grade. He would have snapped me like a twig. That's so true. But he said, I wasn't going to let him push me around. And I said, he, and that's why he was shaking, because he thought if he comes back at me, oh, it's over. A uh -uh. But he had found his voice. And as hard as that was for me to hear, um, and obviously we use our words first, blotty, blotty. Um, but uh, I, he had found his voice. And I remember thinking at that point, like, uh, he's fine. He's fine. You know, he's compliant. He's easygoing. He's laid back. He um, is obedient. You know, he's... Uh, he does well in class. Joe was the kid that got, like, the positive referrals, not the negative, you know, and his friends would be like, are you serious, you know? I mean, it was just, he was annoyingly obedient, and, um, and I, that's, you know, it was a concern, and then I thought, he's fine. He's fine. He had found his voice. Because as laid back and compliant as I was, because of the situations like Chick-fil-A, there was a grit that was instilled in me and a stick-to-itiveness that, I wasn't going to be pushed around. But and that was in you. It just had to be brought out. I, I think that's the misnomer about laid-back compliant kids is they're mm -hmm. not competitive. They don't care. Mm -hmm. They don't. It's not true. It's in there. We have to dig. We have to help Absolutely. them get Absolutely. it out. It was always there. I just saw the fire in your eye when you did get annoyed with Emily. And I'm like, that fire's there. You know, with a strong will blessing, we say we don't want to change them. We just want to channel them. Same with a laid back. I don't want to change him. You know, I just want to channel it. So we got to, you know, help him find the Joe. We, my, my laid back guy, we call the honey badger because when it comes out, it's, it's fierce. Oh, we would say it's like yes. a volcano. Yes. You know, and because I'm like that. Like I can go, 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 and I'm eating, nothing bothers me. And then all of a sudden, man, it, un who knows what's going to, you know, set the volcano off, veins out. It yeah. gets, it gets ugly sometimes. Yeah. It's not always pretty when the volcano goes okay, off. Okay, let's change the subject. I was talking about me. I wasn't even talking about you. Oh, I thought you were afraid of my volcano. I mean... 
Well, before we move on from this, I want to share that from a perspective as a school administrator and dealing with um, kids in bullying situations, 99.9% .9 of the time, if the victim stands up, it stops. From kindergarten all the way up to the staff members that I would meet with in these situations, 99% of the time, it stops. No question. Studies have been done on that, yes. and, and it literally shuts down. I, I will tell you this, too. Bullying is not just elementary. It's not just middle. It's not just high school. It's not just social media. There are bullies in the boardroom. There are bullies in the bunco group. Anybody ever, you know, dance moms, hello. Bullies, you know. I, I, there, there are bullies everywhere. It's just because it's human nature. And so what we have to do is instill, uh, you know, a, a power, a strength, yeah. you know, a resilience. Yes. So, um, I think we've covered uh, the next question. So I'm going to move on to, um, to talk to you a little bit about the role of the local church. Because um, for me growing up, church wasn't a source of support for my family. And it wasn't until my husband and I started coming here with my um, children that I was able to see what a positive um, uh, support system that could be for a family. And so as a mom, I also know how hard it can be to get everybody up in the morning, get everybody out the door. Um, and I feel the pressures of extracurriculars that can pull you away from church on Sunday. And so it's always, I get so much insight when I hear from um, kids who did grow up and have such a positive experience in the local church. And so I want you to take a few minutes to share um, about the role that the local church played in your life and how it um, impacted you and influenced you from attending regularly to being involved in the youth programs and serving. What what that did for you. For sure. I think, um, number one, it can be easy to look up here and say, well, you're a preacher's kid. Of course the local church played a big part in your life. Um, but my parents made it very clear early on that they didn't parent the way they parented because uh, they were pastors. They parented the way they did because they were Christians and it was the way the Bible said to. And um, getting plugged into a local church on a weekly basis and um, for us on a daily basis was... Uh, it wasn't an option, and if I didn't want to go to church on Sunday, that was too bad. I was going to get up, and I was going to go to church, um, and then that consistency early on, um, preschool to elementary school, and then when I started serving in middle school and high school, um, it was a weekly reminder, and it surrounded me with people who weren't blood-related to me, who didn't have my last name, that believed in me, that supported me, and that wanted me to succeed, and it surrounded me with those people um, who were older than me, the same age, and younger than me, um, that it was a constant reminder that doing the right thing was the right thing no matter what. And um, I think especially when I was in middle school and high school, um, coming back and serving in kids ministry every week and having those kids in second and third grade look up to you, it was an extra responsibility and accountability that uh, when my friends started doing dumb things, I couldn't do dumb things because I couldn't do that to those parents of those kids or to those kids. Um, and so it added so many layers of accountability, responsibility, and uh, support that no other organization on earth has. That, that's awesome. And I, I think, Joe, you said it, though, like there were always people ahead of you and there are always people behind you. It's that same perspective that we as moms we have to put ourselves in situations where there are people just a step ahead of you and just a step behind you. And um, that's what I think, you know, the church offers um, for kids. Yeah, and I have to say that Emily babysat for my kids one time, and when I told them who was coming over, they said, you mean Joe's sister? 
He, he's kind of a rock star over yeah. there. Yeah. Who wouldn't well, Who wouldn't like that? And it, I mean, it gave me an outlet to be a character and a caricature of myself. And so it gave me that expressive outlet um, where if I was really angry on Friday, I could come in and be high-key, 100% joyful on Sunday. And that fueled me to where then Monday... I had completely forgotten about what I was mad about on Friday, and on Monday I was happy again, and I was ready to go. That's great. That's great. That is great. Okay, I want to end with some rapid-fire questions, so I'm just going to ask them real quick of all you. Right, I'm ready. Okay. Okay, first of all, what is something valuable that your mom taught you that might surprise her to know? So for me, it is the I think I can mentality from the, um, the little engine that could. Definitely don't take yourself too seriously. Um, <laughs> We do a great job of that in the Richard household. But um, it was something that when, uh, whether it was high school or college and people start just really like pushing forward, putting their head down and sticking to the grind, um, you worked hard, but you were okay laughing at yourself and you were okay um, making a fool out of yourself. What's your favorite game that you played with your family growing up? Oh, that one's hard either. Oh, wait, no, it's not. Madagascar Putt-Putt um, on the Xbox. It's, uh, it's one of the greatest things um, that has been blessed to this earth, and it is, it's fantastic. I don't even know if they make it anymore, but it was great. We still have ours. Yeah, we do. Um, what's your favorite movie, documentary, or TV show? Um, my favorite movie is probably either Smokey and the Bandit or uh, Coach Carter or Zoolander. I'm going to go three. <laughs> That's a pretty amazing... A whole wide array. <laughs> that pretty much sums you up right Which, there. Which, life lessons <laughs> to be found in every one. If you think I'm wrong, come find me after. I can prove you wrong. Um, what's the Austin restaurant you miss the most when you're at college? Whataburger. <laughs> I cry every time we leave. It's my first meal back. That's awesome. Okay, what's the worst advice you see your college-age peers following? Just have fun. Um, a lot of people in college are like, it's four years, it won't matter. But um, with social media and before social media, it does matter. And people um, don't realize that what they're posting at 22 affects the jobs they get at 32. Um, so it's definitely that one. Do you have a quote or Bible verse that you live by? Uh, I love Matthew 5.16 um, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may uh, see the glory, or they may see your Father and give glory to your Father in heaven. Um, I, I always look at things through a science perspective because I loved physics in high school, um, and I think uh, we're called to be prisms, and we're supposed to refract and not reflect, and that our relationship with God is personal, but it's not private, and so we are supposed to be the light and the prism that shines um, his light. Yeah, would love to say that I taught him that one. I'm not even sure what he just said. <laughs> what is the most important thing for moms of boys to know? Your little boy may be your little boy right now, but he's got to be a man someday. Um, and he's going to have to provide for a family. And uh, <laughs> coddling him at four is not going to help his marriage at 34. Um, and he's going to have to be a man, and he is going to have to step up. Um, yeah. What was. lucky girl. It's very Amen to that. And for those of you online, you can't see, but our Austin moms are here wiping tears and crying as Joe's speaking. 
Um, Joe, what message do you want to leave moms with today? Um, I think the most important message to know is that you're going to mess up and your kids are going to mess up. Um, your kids' mess ups are not your fault, but how you respond to them is your responsibility. Um, <laughs> and um, I think especially when they get older, uh, it's going to be easy to ask yourself what you did wrong. Um, and you're human, and so there's not going to be an answer to that question. But you can't look in the rear view. you got to look forward, and you got to say, okay, this has happened. How do we respond to it as a family and especially as a mom? Okay, one last question. When will you be back? <laughs> I mean, that was awesome. I'm sorry. Uh, we're all done? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay, I just want to say thank you, Joe. Well, thank you all for thank having me. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. And thank you, Julia. Of course. Thank you. And um, I do think it is totally appropriate for Joe to pray us out today. I don't know if I'm that spiritual, but okay. You got this. Um, all that prison business, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for today. Um, for Fearless Mom and for these moms that want to be intentional about raising the next generation, God, um, I pray that you have your hand over them and you just give them the encouragement and the joy that they need uh, to go throughout their day and their week and their month and their year. Um, God, I pray that you send us out with supernatural energy and supernatural peace in everything that we do. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.